Well, good morning, church family. Um, I, normally on a Monday morning in staff meeting, I've, uh, this isn't scripted, uh, I normally um, review the service right down the service times, and then I, I get on the preacher's case about going over time. Unfortunately, this morning, I, I'm not here tomorrow for someone to get on my case, so let me just put that out there at the start. Um, also to say how much I've enjoyed being here, but particularly this last year of being under, having the privilege of being under uh, John Shepherd's leadership. And one thing to really encourage the church family in as I leave, but is, is the necessity for prayer. John came to Christ Church with a burden for prayer. And from day one, by God's grace and his power, has led us to pray more than we had in my time, and we had COVID in my time. Um, and so let me reiterate John's appeal. If you can make it tomorrow night to the boiler room, it has been a highlight of my three years here. A few saints gathered, when my first Sunday sit next to, to, uh, to Norma and June, and just hearing the saints pray with such fervor and desire and assurance that God will answer them. Uh, so let me encourage you to, to join Boiler Room. If you can't be here in person, maybe set up part of the time that evening to pray online or to pray, sorry, uh, with those around you. But let me uh, yeah, encourage you to pray. And thank you, John, for bringing prayer so much to the heart of Christchurch. Jesus appeals, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a favourite passage of many and for good reason. The promises are so beautiful, aren't they? Feeling weary or burdened, I mean, who hasn't felt that way? Rest for your souls? (laughs) Who wouldn't want that? But have you ever wondered what this rest Jesus offers is? We often talk about this verse as if Jesus is providing the ultimate vacation paradise. I'm a a father of young children. Holidays are not holidays for a father with young children. We imagine ourselves on the ideal spot with our favourite thing, which which might be nothing, and uh, slowly sucking in lungfuls of refreshing air. We imagine this rest as being a ceasing from our regular activities, a break from our job, a break from parenting responsibilities, or dare we say it, a break from caring for our elderly relatives. But this isn't what Jesus has in mind. The rest Jesus offers is not a break from our work or this world, because if that's what Jesus was offering, we'd be like everyone else who'd be just living for the weekend, ready to get back to Sunday to, to have that rest crawling through each week, longing for our temporary reprieve from the norm. No, the rest Jesus offers us can be a permanent refreshment in the midst of our everyday lives. With that, let me pray. Father God, thank you for the rest that you offer us in your Son. Would we all today, wherever we are, hear your invitation to come to you? And by your spirit, make your promises good in our lives, that we will find rest for our souls. Amen. Uh, My message to you 
from God today is a really simple one. It's the message on Jesus' very lips. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's let God show you how, by his spirit, from his word, apply it to your hearts. I, I can't remember chart my childhood without church. My mum would take my brother and my sister and I to our local parish every Sunday. It was a huge barn of a building uh, with a small elderly congregation who fell faithfully met each week for what was a traditional kind of service. I, I love being in church. I love being among my church family, as small and elderly as they were. Before my teen years, I became what we would have called the altar boy, and that meant I wore a brown dress every Sunday, and I carried a wooden cross, and I slept in the corner during the sermon. This childhood experience of, of church painted a very clear picture in my mind of what it meant to be a Christian. For me, uh, being a Christian meant formality was really important, kneeling at the altar for communion sort of thing, where reverence was encouraged, where tradition mattered, where the rules needed to be kept, where everyone was loved, where the church was always reaching out to the community. We were always in the community. But Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. A few years later, I started to attend a lively, charismatic kind of church, if you know what that word means. And I was finding that the painting I had in my mind beforehand of the Christian life was now being touched up and parts were completely being painted over. Formality was replaced with informality. Reverence painted over with approachability. Tradition brightly emblazoned with contemporary. They had a drum kit and lights. Rule keeping mattered less. The Sunday gathering became central. God's word was the thing around which everything else revolved. God's spirit was moving. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I went along to, to popular Christian festivals as a child regularly in my mid-teens, and, and that began to paint even more over what I thought it meant to be a Christian. I was getting stencils and emojis plastered over this picture. The Christian life became more about the experience, the experience of intimacy God, the experience of the gathered worship event, the experience of being in relationship with other Christians. Sung worship was the thing around which everything revolved, and God's spirit was unbounded. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I visited a, a popular church with my mother in a neighboring town in my late teens, and, and there were, were massive, expensive flags hanging from the walls around the church. Everything was beautifully polished and shiny. Even the people were shiny. The band were professional, and my painting of a Christian life was being graffitied over. Here, financial giving was important. The minister was especially to be revered and was seen as holy. The more you sacrificially gave, uh, financially or elsewise, um, the closer you were to God. Being healthy and wealthy in this life was the goal of the Christian life. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In my late teens, as I stared back at the painting in my mind's eye, I looked at how different churches emphasised different things, and I became disillusioned with church. 
I saw how each church was telling me I needed to behave or what I needed to do or what was expected for me to fit in with them for me to live a Christian life like this. The only problem was that each church was giving me a a different picture, a different way of being. I felt like such a burden navigating which way was the right one with so many to choose from. I felt weary of listening to contradictory messages like I was being yoked with these different churches constantly dragging me along. And so in my late teens, I turned my back on church. I thought, I have my Bible, I have God's Spirit, I'm done with all this confusing church stuff. Can you relate in some way to my experience of church? Have you ever felt the pressure to conform yourself to a particular way of being to to fit in with other Christians? in order to feel like you belong to a church, in order to feel like you are one of them, maybe in order to feel like you belong here at Christ Church to be one of us. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you spend any amount of time listening to Christian podcasts or reading Christian articles, you would have quickly come across a word called deconstruction. Have you heard this word? Anyone want to give a stab at what the word deconstruction means in this context? You can shout, it's fine, it's church. Okay, I'll answer it for you, but there are more questions coming later on, so be prepared for those. As you look around the streets here in Surbiton, there's lots of building works happening, isn't there? Lots of renovations going on. And imagine you look at one of these houses, but, but you can't see the house because it's shrouded by layers of scaffolding and then plastic wrapping and the billboards on the outside. You want to enjoy the house, you want to see the house. But all you can see is the ugly scaffolding that obscures it from your view. Now imagine that that house I'm describing was Jesus, and the scaffolding and plastic was the church's interpretation of him. Deconstruction is where someone looks at the model of the Christian life that they've been raised in, They see the hypocrisy, the sexism, the bigotry, the morality, the neglect of creation, the lack of engagement with the young, the attitudes towards LGBTQ people, the focus on the church while ignoring it in the pores outside the wall. They feel burdened by the church's wrong teachings and they are weary of hearing the same messages. They feel the pull of the heavy yoke of religion they grew up in and they constantly feel like it's dragging them along and haven't been disillusioned. They begin to remove the scaffolding in order to find the true Jesus at the center. The only problem is, 99 times out of 100, once the scaffolding has gone, there's no Jesus left to be seen. And they leave the faith. If you Google deconstructing Christianity when you get home, you'll find loads of articles describing how for people under 40 years old, this is the main reason they are walking away from Jesus. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This problem I'm describing, it's not new. If you have your Bibles in your hands and you turn forwards a little bit to Matthew 23, it's on page 991 if you want to get there. Um, There, Jesus says this, verse 4. They, this is Matthew 23, verse 4, they, that's the teachers of the laws and the Pharisees, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, 
but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Heavy, cumbersome loads. Wouldn't that make you feel weary? Isn't that a burden? Placed on people's shoulders, Jesus says. Isn't that like a yoke? Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We, we could label what I've been describing as the difference between faith and religion. You've probably heard people say, oh, I have faith in Jesus, but I don't do all that religious stuff. Religion is man-made and faith is from God. You might have said it yourself, I've got some sympathy with this kind of sentiment. If I was that intelligent when I left the church in my late teens, I probably would have said that as well. But we'd be foolish to think that leaving a certain kind of church or leaving a certain understanding of the Christian life was to leave religion. I mean, we're simply swapping the religion we grew up in for one we're inventing for ourselves. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, this is a a beautiful passage. But the rest Jesus is inviting us to enjoy isn't a vacation on a beach. It's not time off from work. No, the rest Jesus invites each and every one of us to enjoy is a rest, a ceasing, a stopping from trying to do all the right things to get right with God. Jesus is inviting us to stop thinking that we need to do certain things to enjoy the life that he has promised us. The Christian life is not about having our morning quiet time or coming to church every Sunday or saying our prayers in just the right way or reading the Bible in a year. The Christian life is not about following what New Wine or Soul Survivor or Keswick or Alpha or what Christianity Explores teaches. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying these are bad things or these are wrong. But our relationship is not with Alpha or New Wine. Our relationship isn't with Anil Apadu or John Shepherd. Who is our relationship with? We're getting there. Listen to what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you. Now, don't mishear what I'm saying. I think every Christian should be in church. I was wrong to leave the church when I was a child. That's what Jesus' people would do. That's what we're told to do as his disciples, to gather as his people. And I came to realize that I could not call myself one of Jesus' followers if I purposely chose not to spend time with his family. It's, it's a contradiction. You can't do it. But my emphasis shouldn't be on which church I went to or what the preacher was saying or what I was listening to on my podcasts. My emphasis should be on Jesus first, as revealed in his word, as applied by his spirit. The church has a massively important role in that. We wouldn't give 25, 30-minute sermons here if we didn't think that was the case. We wouldn't sing songs that glorify God if we didn't think that was the case. I'm not saying that the Christian life is without rules and commands. Jesus himself says that if we love him, if we love him and we claim to love him, then we will obey his commands. John chapter 14. In his great commission, Jesus tells us to teach new believers everything he has commanded. That's our job as not just ministers, but every believer is to train other Christians by teaching them to obey what Jesus commanded. 
Now, John Piper, an American pastor, he wrote a book entitled What Jesus Demands of the World, and in it, he finds over 500 commands in the, new, in the Gospels alone, just the, the words of Jesus, 500 commands about how Christians should live. So I'm not saying we can do what we want and live how we like. I'm not saying that. Jesus describes our religious life, our religion, like a yoke. I'm sure you know this, but a yoke was a, a wooden bar that would straddle the shoulders of an animal to enable them to pull along an object like a cart or a plow. There are some ways of doing religions, some ways of living the Christian life according to some teachers, according to some churches, that's heavy and oppressive. Like the teachings of the Pharisees in Matthew 23 I referred to earlier. These are yokes that drag us down and burden us with unnecessary difficulties. But in Jesus' invitation, we are invited to carry his yoke. It's still a yoke. It's still cumbersome. It still constrains us. It still drives us and forces us in a certain direction that we might not want to go. I mean, make no mistakes about it. The Christian life, there is hard work to be done in following Jesus. We just sang about that in our last beautiful song. Anyone who, who promises you that the Christian life would be easy has lied to you. Jesus never promised that following him would be easy or free from pain and hardship. But the difference is that this is Jesus' yoke we are called to pick up. And we are following his commands in his ways. There is still a burden, a weight of being a disciple of Jesus. He tells us to carry a cross, remember? But it's a lighter burden than any religious structure or worldly teacher or celebrity or guru will ever offer you. And not just that. Jesus assures us that this yoke his yoke, his way of living, his way of being a Christian will not just provide rest for you in this life, but a rest that carries us through to eternity. A rest for our very souls. A rest that only he can promise because only he has done the work needed to secure that kind of rest for us. We don't follow Jesus his rules to make Jesus love us. We follow them because we know he loves us. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from Jesus. Wouldn't you like that? Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha, where Martha was busy making preparations to receive Jesus into her home? And so she's getting things the right way. She's cleaning the house. She's washing the dishes. She's cooking dinner. She's feeding the cats. What was Mary doing while Martha was doing all these things? Who can remember? Sitting. Thank you. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. You may know like this. Just lying there like a kid watching TV. Martha feels cross. She's doing all the work whilst her sister just sits there doing nothing. So he asked, she asked Jesus to, to, to tell Mary to help her. Do you remember what Jesus said to Martha? I'm hearing mutterings, not words. Louder. Go on, Norma. 
wonderful. Verse 41, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but there are a few things needed. Or indeed, only one? Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had been raised to believe were necessary to welcome someone like Jesus into her home. What had Mary chosen to do that was better? She was listening to Jesus. She was learning from Jesus. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm embarrassed my wife by saying this, but Sabrina has often said that she would have loved to be around when Jesus walked the earth, to, to sit at his feet and to hear him teach. But brothers and sisters, we haven't missed the boat. Mary isn't more privileged than we are by sitting at his feet in that scene. We have a whole library of books from God full of his teaching so we can learn directly from him. That's what the Bible means, library. And just sit with that invitation from Jesus for just a moment. Learn from me. Isn't that remarkable? When I was younger, my dad used to uh, be mad on a guy called Tony Robbins. Does anyone know who Tony Robbins is? Wow, that's fallen flat. One or two nods. Thank you. Okay. He was like this, this big uh, positivity guru, you, kind of like um, uh, Jordan Peterson of 20, 30 years ago. And my dad had his cassettes. We all know what they are. Uh, and he would listen to Tony Robbins' teachings. Some of my family, they're Hindus, and they read their sacred texts, and they listen to the teachings of their gurus. You might follow a particular entrepreneur or celebrity or industry leader, and you absorb the things they are teaching you from their podcasts or from their books. But can you truly say that you are learning from them? That they are teaching you directly? That you can engage directly in conversation with them? You can't, can you? But brothers and sisters, this is exactly what Jesus is inviting you to do. Come to him, verse 28, and to learn from him. Anyone can read the Bible and learn from the teachings of God. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, we can all learn something. And for 2,000 years, we've been saying these teachings are good. I mean, believe it or not, much of what the whole Western world, everything we understand about what it means to be truly human, has been derived directly from Jesus' teachings. You can't escape it. Whether you believe in him or not, you have been learning from him. But, that's a bit flat, isn't it? That's a bit like listening to a tape recorder of Tony Robbins. It's kind of one way. But something different happens when you're a Christian. Because to a Christian, God gives you a wonderful gift. What is that gift? His Spirit. God gives you the gift of direct relationship with himself by coming to live inside of you by his Spirit. And when God does that, he invites you to learn from him directly by constantly plucking at your heart and flicking your conscience as he does the work of making you more and more like himself. Tony Robbins can't do that. Jordan Peterson can't do that. But Jesus can. And this is what he invites you to enjoy.
you might be sitting here thinking, well, that's all lovely, but why should I learn from Jesus? I mean, there are plenty of other gurus out there in the world. Why should I listen to this one? That's a fair question, but the answer is really simple. There is no one like Jesus. Jesus is not just a clever man from whom we can learn, and he's not just another guru on our shelf or a philosopher we can debate. Jesus is God himself, who made this entire universe. Who's the most powerful person you can think of? For me, Putin feels quite powerful right now, doesn't he? With his army and his arsenal. I mean, Putin can invade a sovereign state, and yet it seems no one can touch him. What Putin says in his country goes. That's power. That's real authority, right? Jesus says just before our reading in verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my father. His father is God, by the way. And just before he was raised to heaven, he said to disciples, all power and authority has been given to me. If you remember your scriptures, you'll know that Jesus has the power to call down armies of angels to defend him. He had the authority to still a storm with his voice. Demons shrank in his presence. The devil couldn't touch him and death couldn't hold him. That's real power. That's true strength. I forget Putin. He's got nothing on Jesus. Putin puts on his press photos. Have you seen them? He's riding around topless on a, on a horse in his manliness, with his hairy chest. Contrast this image of power with Jesus. The most powerful man who has ever lived and still lives today, how does Jesus describe himself? Verse 29, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Do you think Putin would ever say that about himself? Think of any powerful leader, any successful business person, any celebrity, would they say... I am gentle and humble in heart. How gentle is Jesus? Gentle enough that children, the most vulnerable in society, are safe in his presence. Gentle enough that those who feel on the margins of society or rejected by those who should have protected them can find peace in his embrace. Gentle enough that he can pray forgiveness for those who hammered nails into his hands. How humble is Jesus? Put it this way, he was content to leave the beauty and glory and adoration of the heavenly courts to be born a baby and grow up in a forgotten town. Humble enough to swap a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. Humble enough to train a throne for a cross. Humble enough to call you and I his brothers and sisters. Humble enough to call us his friends. I want to close with the first words of Jesus' invitation. Come to me. Come to me. Imagine Jesus, his, his arms stretched wide in a beckoning embrace, like a loving father. The nail marks visible in his hands proving his great love for you and assuring you that everything necessary for you to find rest in God has been done. And he simply says, come to me. I think 
my favorite verse in the Bible is John chapter 6, verse 37, where Jesus says these words. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, and I shall lose none of those he's given me, but raise them up on the last day. If you love Jesus, if you have come to Jesus, do you know what you are? You are a gift of love from God the Father to the Son. You are a gift. And every love gift from God the Father to his Son Jesus will not be rejected by Jesus. He will never reject you. Jesus will not drive you away. And Jesus assures you that if you are held in his nail-pierced, universe-shaping hands, that his grip on you is so strong that nothing can prize you from his hands and stop you being raised on the last day. You might be wondering, well, does that include me? I haven't believed in Jesus before. I've been burned by all this religion stuff in the past. I'm not sure I believe all this stuff. Listen to what Jesus himself says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus. Come to him. And he promises you that in him alone you will find rest. Rest for your souls. So come to Jesus. In just a moment we're going to celebrate communion together where Jesus offers us to come to his table. To receive his body broken in the torn bread and his blood shed in the poured wine. Today, hear Jesus' invitation to come to him and hold on to his promises that those who come are promised to find rest for their souls. Please bow your heads to pray. Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus who offers us rest. Whoever we are and where we find ourselves, Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you will keep that good promise for us, that your Spirit would drive us to come to you, and that in your embrace we will not be rejected, but find rest for ourselves. Amen.